if you're one who loves music and your, your life is like a soundtrack, but your music choices are almost exclusively secular, understand this. Music is a gift for you to enjoy, but you are using one of God's best gifts contrary to His primary design. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue the series, Recovering a Lost Legacy. Should churches sing either traditional or contemporary songs, or is it okay to sing both? Sadly, music style has become increasingly divisive in the church mainly because of a misunderstanding about what the Bible teaches about styles of music. Both Old and New Testaments give clear instruction about styles of music and what is appropriate for the worship of God. As Tom will teach in today's message, we as Christians must be actively engaged in singing songs that are God-centered, that can be both traditional and contemporary in style. Is God-centered singing a priority in your church and in your own personal life? Let's join Tom as he opens God's Word right now on The Word Unleashed. A lot of the music that's written today plays to the lowest common denominator. It, it's written so that the widest possible audience can sing it, regardless of their theology. So a lot of the songs are about God as Creator. That's great. They should be. But a lot of the songs don't get specific. I'm not talking about the songs we sing. I'm talking about the larger Christian church. Don't get very specific on Jesus and the gospel. Why? Because they want the widest possible audience to embrace it. It's, it's a tragedy. Listen, somebody shouldn't be able to come into the service who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ and the biblical gospel and be comfortable with the music we sing. Pliny the Younger in a famous letter to the Emperor Trajan about 112 AD, described Christians like this. He said they are those who, quote, recited to one another in turns, he's talking about antiphonal singing, a hymn to Christ as God. This is what Christians do. Their music is Christ-centered and cross-centered as well as God-centered. Let me just stop and say, there's nothing wrong with listening to secular music. Music is a gift, and it's for our enjoyment, as long as the lyrics, of course, are not contrary to the commands of Scripture. I'll tell you personally, there are very few kinds of music I don't like, I don't enjoy. But, but if your favorite music is more about your musical choices than about Christ, there's a problem. And the heart of the problem is deeper than your music taste. It means that your heart is not filled with the Word of God. It means you're not as spiritual and mature as perhaps you think you are, because the Spirit-filled Christian, that's what Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 are saying, the Spirit-filled Christian loves God-centered, Christ-centered, cross-centered music. So those are the biblical purposes of music. There is a personal purpose remembering the Word of God and rehearsing it in my own heart for my own encouragement and strength and edification. There is a horizontal purpose. We speak to one another in our music, and there's a vertical purpose. We sing to the Lord. 
That brings us to a fifth insight we learned from Scripture about music, and it's this, the biblical types of music and worship, the biblical types of music and worship. Let me first of all address the issue of music styles. Now, some Christians believe, and I grew up in a circle where there were people who believed and argued that regardless of the lyrics, any worship music that even faintly sounds like secular contemporary music isn't appropriate, isn't godly. Some would even say it's of the devil. Let me be as blunt as I can. Maybe you've been influenced by that mindset. You've listened to some, some people teach and and you've gotten that idea in your own mind. Let me be as direct as I can. Scripture nowhere says or implies that God forbids the use of any music style in worship. In fact, the style of music that a church uses is an issue of conscience. It's not directly addressed in the Scripture, so it's an issue of conscience. Whose conscience? The collective conscience of the elders of that church. They're the ones who give an account. They're the ones who decide the music style that will characterize a given church. But sadly, this issue of music style is especially divisive in the church today between those who embrace contemporary music and those who enjoy more traditional. Now, as you know, there have been three basic responses to this ongoing conflict. One response of some churches is to choose to use only one style of music. We're going to be all contemporary. We're going to be all traditional. For example, the Harvest Churches have said we're going to be all contemporary. We don't want any older stuff included. Other churches make different decisions. A second approach some have taken is to have two separate services, a contemporary service and a traditional service. Now, I think that's well-intentioned, but it's a bad idea because it doesn't produce unity. It produces further division, often generationally. It doesn't bring the church together. It separates the church. It doesn't produce mutual understanding and unity. So at Countryside, we've chosen the third solution, and that is we have intentionally included a mix of traditional and contemporary music. Now, let me hasten to say we made that choice not because we just wanted to compromise and try to keep everybody happy. We made that choice, as I'll show you shortly, because it reflects the Old Testament and New Testament pattern. So, I'll come back to that, but let's move on to music lyrics. Talked about music styles. There isn't a style that's dictated in Scripture. It's an issue of conscience. But what about music lyrics? Well, in Ephesians 5.19, Paul identifies three types or kinds of lyrics that are acceptable in the worship of God. Look at it again. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, Paul uses those same three categories in Colossians 3.16, and those three expressions in Greek are the most common Greek words for the religious songs in the Septuagint, in the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament that was done a couple of hundred years before Christ was used by the apostles. In fact, these three expressions often appear in the Septuagint used interchangeably in the titles of the Psalms. So we shouldn't make any sharp distinction between them. However, there are nuances of difference in their meaning. Let's see if we can can understand those nuances. The first type of lyrics we're told here are psalms. The Greek word is psalmos. So our English word is not a translation but a transliteration of the Greek word. 
The Greek word salmos originally meant to pluck the string of a bow, or sometimes it referred to the sound of a stringed instrument. The way the Septuagint uses this word, it's clear that when people sang psalms in the Old Testament, they did so usually with musical accompaniment. That's the essence of this word. In the New Testament, psalmos occurs seven times. Five times clearly refers to the book of Psalms, quoting the Psalms. The other two times are here in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. So the word psalms refers primarily to the Old Testament book of Psalms, but it can also refer to later songs that use the poetry of the psalms or that use the psalms as a pattern for music. It's clear from Paul's admonition here that we ought to include the psalms themselves in our worship, and the truths taught in the psalms should inform and serve as a basis for the other songs we write and sing. I'm involved right now. A friend of mine is working on a a Psalter project, a modern Psalter project, and I've had the opportunity to write several psalms that uh, songs based on several psalms that may go in that Psalter. That's, That's a biblical concept. We need to sing the psalms. A second type of lyrics listed here are hymns. Again, our English borrows the Greek word, which is humnas. Humnas. It refers to poetry recited or sung, most often in praise or honor of a deity. In both the Septuagint and in the New Testament, hymns are songs that set forth the truth about God and are usually addressed to God. Alan Ross writes, a hymn was more formal, loftier, and more universal in scope, focusing on one or more of the divine attributes and not on personal experiences. Most scholars agree that the New Testament contains several poems that were probably first century hymns. For example, in Luke 1, you have Mary's Magnificat. It's poetry. That's why it's set off as poetry in our scriptures. In that same chapter, you have the Benedictus of Zacharias, again, set off as poetry, probably a a first century hymn. Philippians chapter 2, about Christ's kenosis, his condescension into the incarnation. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Those are all fragments of first century hymns, and they focus on Christ and on the atonement. Hymns factored in the people of God in the New Testament. Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn after the Last Supper, and there were hymns on other occasions they would have sung usually every Sabbath as well at the synagogue worship. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas were bound in the Philippian jail, and they were singing hymns to God. Literally, the Greek text says they were hymning to God, not humming. They were hymning to God. The word hymns implies that our music should be distinctly God-centered, Christ-centered, and cross-centered. A third type of lyrics listed here is spiritual songs. The Greek word for songs is the word from which we get our English word ode. It's a poem intended to be sung. It can be a dirge, that's what our English word usually means, but most often it speaks of songs of joy and praise can also generically refer to singing of any kind, including with musical accompaniment. Notice Paul adds the adjective spiritual to distinguish these songs from secular songs. 
Let me just say it. It shouldn't need to be said, but let me say it. The Bible knows nothing of God's people singing secular songs when they come together as a church. Spiritual songs, then, refer to songs that are not the Psalms, and they're not hymns, but they still have a biblically solid spiritual message. Again, Alan Ross, in his book on biblical worship, writes this, these are new songs that set forth the believer's spiritual enjoyment of life under God. So those three expressions summarize the variety of music that should fill our minds and the church's hymn book. Now, from those three biblical styles or types of lyrics, we can establish two guiding principles. Let me give them to you. Number one, the lyrics must be biblically based. The lyrics of our songs are to be full of rich biblical truth. That's certainly true of the music recorded in Scripture, and our lyrics are to follow suit. They should be biblically accurate, and the truth should be rich enough that it can't be expressed in three words or less. The lyrics of God-honoring music have something to say, and they have something to say that's patently biblical. Not only should they be biblically based, but secondly, the lyrics must be biblically balanced. That is, our music should mirror the balance of music in our Bibles. The Spirit-inspired psalms and hymns in Scripture set a pattern for balance in our music, and they do so in several ways. Let me give you what this balance should look like. First of all, the lyrics should be balanced between Old and New Testament revelation. We believe in progressive revelation. That is, we believe that God has progressively more clearly revealed His truth. All the truth we need to know about the gospel is in Genesis 3.16 in one sense. But as Scripture unfolded, we learned so much more about that gospel. And so, as we look at our music, it should be balanced. It should present God not only as the Psalms do often, as creator, sustainer, and as Savior in, in a generic sense, the rescuer from the problems of life and the difficulties and trials we encounter, but as in the New Testament about Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the same balance should be present in our music. The lyrics of our song, secondly, should be balanced between subjective experience and objective truth. By subjective, I mean having to do with us and our feelings about God and what He's done. By objective, I mean the truth about God and His character, His acts, His words. It's okay for some of our songs to be the subjective expression of our feelings and thoughts to God. We sing, for example, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. That's a personal experience, subjective expression, and that's perfectly fine. We find that same kind of personal expression in biblical music. Psalm 18.1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. But much of the music of Scripture rehearses God's objective revelation of Himself to us. You're familiar with that, and our music needs to do the same. We need to balance our worship between the subjective expression of our thoughts to God and the objective revelation of, of God to us. In other words, for every song about me and my feelings, there should be songs like, Oh, Worship the King and Holy, Holy, Holy.
Thirdly, the songs recorded in Scripture also teach us a balance between old and contemporary songs. I told you I'd get back to this. Why do we do that? Why do we include a mix of old and new? It's because there's biblical warrant for it. Think about Old Testament believers. The Psalms were written over a period of 900 years. The oldest psalm in the Psalter, Psalm 90, written by Moses, about 1445 B.C. The newest psalms in the Psalter were written 900 years later in the 500s B.C. So over a period of 900 years, the people of God were singing old songs and they were singing new songs as they were written. But what about the New Testament church? The same thing happened there. This was the pattern there as well. In addition to singing the Psalms, Paul just told us they should sing Psalms and hymns, they were also singing contemporary Christological songs in the first century. How do we know that? Because we have fragments of them in the Scripture, in the New Testament. So don't miss this crucial point. Old Testament and New Testament believers sang old songs that were a part of their heritage, and they continued to add contemporary songs during every time period. That was the pattern of Old Testament believers. That was the pattern of the New Testament church. And that is the biblical pattern that we need to follow in music and worship. You need, Christian, to develop a taste for both. Our music must be biblically based. It must be biblically balanced. There can and should be great variety in our music. But when a person is filled by the Spirit with the Word, there's going to be a deep and abiding love for God-centered, Christ-centered, cross-centered music. Now, if you have to admit that that love is not as strong as it should be, let me just give you a few practical suggestions for how to promote and develop that love for God-centered music in your own soul. Let me just say these are not inspired. You won't find a chapter and verse for these. I hope they'll be helpful. They're just some ideas, some practical means to develop this appetite and taste. Number one, memorize the lyrics of the songs we sing as a church and other songs that are rich in biblical truth so that you can sing them. You need to memorize songs so that you can turn them into an expression of praise. Do it intentionally. As we're singing, try to look away and and sing some from memory so that you're incorporating those words into your mind so that you can sing them. That's such a a rich thing to do. If you pull up beside me at a stoplight sometime, you'll look over and you might think, "What's, what's wrong with Tom? What's he doing? I'm singing. I love to sing. And I, I sing out because that's, wor- that's what God's worthy of. That's what He's worthy of our worship and praise. And m- memorizing music helps me do that. I don't always have to have my, my sound system on to sing. Why? Because I've memorized the songs. I know them. Last night I was, I was walking. This, this week I've been going through Psalm 104, the great psalm about God as creator. And as I was walking last night, I was looking out and seeing the creation of God, and I found my mind going to both the old and the new versions of all creatures of our God and King. Lift up your voice and with us sing. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh as the Creator God. Memorize music so that you can sing. 
Number two, fill your life with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, some of you are not as prone to love music. Let me just admonish you, you're going to have to make room for music in your life. What that means is you're going to have to turn off the news. You don't need to know more about how bad the world is. Turn off talk radio, politics, sports talk, and fill your mind with good, biblically solid lyrics. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you can't do any of those things. I'm just saying intentionally fill your life with the right kind of music. If you're one who loves music and your, your life is like a soundtrack, but your music choices are almost exclusively secular, understand this. Music is a gift for you to enjoy, but you are using one of God's best gifts contrary to His primary design. And that's music that's God-centered, Christ-centered, cross-centered. Develop a taste for good Christian songs. By the way, to help us with that, Seth's putting together a playlist that we can just connect to all the songs we sing in, in our church. So you can, like me, you know, I, I, he sings a new song, we learn a new song, and I got to go find it, and I got to load it onto my devices. Well, he's going to make that easy for us. From now on, we're going to have that playlist so that we can, we can rehearse those songs, we can learn them. Number three, try to develop a taste for good lyrics in musical styles outside your current preferences. Look, I, scientists tell us that music is like a language. You know, when you were growing up, you learned to speak English. Well, some of us learned to speak English. I grew up in South Alabama, so it was kind of English. Um, but you learned a language. You learned a language, and that becomes the language you easily know and speak, and it's more difficult to, to access other languages. Music, they've discovered, is like a language. Whatever music you grew up with, it's like you learned that language of music, and it's hard for you to understand other languages of music. You know, when you hear older people say, I don't even understand what they're singing. It's because they don't. It's because it's a different language than they grew up with. And by the way, those of you who are younger, who are smirking right now, you're going to be the same way someday. You know, <laughs> your kids are going to go, how can you not understand that? It's a language. So develop a taste for other languages in music if they're good quality lyrics. Number four, try singing together as a family. Get you a hymn, buy a hymn book. Don't steal one from the church here, please. <laughs> I don't want you to afflict your conscience. But buy one or, or go online and, and download the lyrics onto your device. There are lots of places you can do that. But occasionally sing with your family. Number, number five, this is really important. Always sing along as you listen to Christian music. Don't get into the habit of being a spectator when it comes to praising God. Don't let somebody else do it for you. Engage your own heart and mind. Sing with Christian music. You need to be praising and singing to God. Number six, when you're enjoying music, if it's secular or Christian, thank God for this gift. I agree with Martin Luther, next to the Word of God, music is God's greatest gift to us. Number seven, if you don't love worship music, study the passages we've examined together and we'll examine next week and the priority that God has given to this and ask the Holy Spirit to grant you illumination that you can see how important music is to God and to God's people and that He would cause you to grow in a love for music that exalts Him. Ask God the Holy Spirit 
to implant that desire in your heart as you, in, as you invest yourself in understanding what the scriptures teach. We were made to worship in music. This is just practice. We will do it forever around the throne of God. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part six of his series, Recovering a Lost Legacy. Tom will have part seven for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. In a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the word unleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the word unleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at the word unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Thank you.